1: Good afternoon, Bay Area. Boy, I really love that music. Uh, that uh, that music that I use for my show is called um, American Millennium. And it's from um, an album called Moonlight by an old friend of mine, uh, John Taylor. Uh, lives in Oregon now, but I did shows with him um, with the San Jose Children's Musical Theater back in the day. And I just realized when I thought about it that that's that's about forty-five years ago, <laughs> and I was doing shows with the children's theater. But uh, I'm happy to say now I have uh, both of my kids actually did summer camp with the children's theater this past summer here, and one of them is doing a workshop right now, two days a week, as a way to uh, to further interest in doing theater, and she's getting to do it in a smaller group with three of her friends from school so she at least gets to see them a couple of days a week even though she doesn't get to see them in person because the school's not opened up yet. So today I plan on um, continuing with my usual format but likely in the second half of the show today I'm going to take some time to kind of lay out just what an estate plan is and what estate planning is. So. Um, if you, uh, This is a show where you might want to go after the show and download the podcast from kdow.biz.biz and uh, if you want to share it with somebody, I'm going to go through kind of like uh, basic ABCs of estate planning, uh, the use of wills and trusts and powers of attorney. I'm going to probably do that in the second half of the show today. But I'm going to lead off the show today with a question that came in this past Monday from a listener, and specifically asked if I would answer the questions uh, in this email on the air uh, today. So let me kind of give the situation here. Uh, says, when my godmother in Maine died, she left me a modest bequest. Along with a check, I also received a listing of her assets. That I received that list surprised me. I already have a living trust and have named some family members, but most will go to charity. I would now like to name several friends and give them each something too. How do I do that without rewriting my entire living trust? Since I live in California, not Maine, would each friend also receive a list of my assets? Well, um, first of all, to, uh, to change your existing living trust without rewriting the whole thing really comes down to changing the distribution section of the trust. In this case, to add in what are called specific bequests of um, naming specific friends and what you want them to receive, whether it's property of some kind or whether it's um, a cash bequest. Um, and, and you don't have to rewrite the whole trust to make a change to that part of the trust. Now, that being said, you may find that if you go and ask an attorney to do that for you, many attorneys, myself included, will not mess with or make changes to a trust that was drafted before by someone else. And we don't do that, and I've talked about this before on the show, we don't do that because of something we generally refer to, similar to the touch rule in basketball. And the touch rule basically says, whoever whoever's player touches the ball last before it goes out of bounds has the out of bounds um, charged against the team whose player touched it last. And what this kind of means in the estate planning context is, if an attorney looks at it and makes changes to an existing trust, then that attorney is effectively adopting that existing trust including any errors or deficiencies that might be in there and because of that uh, if I'm asked to make changes to a trust I say I really need to redo the trust and probably redo the estate plan at the same time so that everything is something that I know is in there and things are in there that I think should be in there but you don't have to rewrite the entire trust just to add in some specific bequests. the second question since you live in california not maine would each friend also receive a list of my assets now i don't know maine's law maine's law perhaps requires that every beneficiary of a trust receive a list of the assets of the trust that's not necessarily the case here in california Uh, Certainly, everybody who's a named beneficiary is entitled to a copy of the trust, which presumably would include a schedule or schedules of assets attached to the trust. The bottom line is the trust itself, a copy of the trust, is typically going to say who's receiving the assets of the trust, sometimes specifically named assets, sometimes just general distribution, such as all of the residue of my uh, trust property goes to Johnny. Um, so, but as a general rule, uh, what we're really talking about is an accounting and uh, not everybody who's the beneficiary of a trust is entitled to an accounting of the trust after the creator of the trust dies. Uh, you're only really entitled to an accounting if it deals with um, property that you're going to be inheriting someone who's receiving a specific bequest of, say, $10,000 or, you know, a Rolex watch or something like that, they really are not entitled to a full accounting of everything that the trust owned. Um, They can be given their specific gift, and there it is, and now they're no longer involved uh, in the trust. Okay, so uh, next question. This is a new one here. Okay, my mother and my aunt purchased this duplex many years ago my aunt had a stroke and then her son my cousin took over her name on the property so it's now under my mom's name and his name my mom wants to ensure when she passes that it goes to me and my siblings as as well as the share of my aunt to my cousin what should we need to do or do we just do nothing will it be fine Is a will or anything necessary? Should you give me power of attorney? Well, say, first of all, power of attorney doesn't mean anything once you've died. Once you've died, the power of attorney authority ends the moment that you breathe your last. What I would suggest in a situation like this is if you want to make sure, or if your mother wants to make sure that her half of the property goes to you and your siblings, she should take and put her half of the property into a trust so that it is separated out and it can then be passed on to you and your siblings. In the case of the cousin, if the cousin now owns the other half, he should probably consider putting his half in a trust as well to make sure that it goes to the people that he wants it to go to. Because otherwise you could end up with the property pulled into the probate process by one of the people dying and that can really complicate things if the family has decided they want to sell the property if now half of it is in the probate process as opposed to being in uh, two different trusts created by the co-owners of the property so uh, we're coming up on the first break today Um, when we come back I'll be continuing on with some more questions and comments around the state. If you'd like to call in, you may call in today and ask your question on the air. 800-516-1220 is the number. That's 800-516-1220. Or you could email me at radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob.com with your question. So when we come back after the break, this is attorney Robert Bergman. To Plan Your Estate Radio. Talk with you then.
0: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Hi, welcome back. Well, let's move on with uh, some more questions and comments from around the state of California. And um, these next series all kind of roughly tie in with each other. So the first one, someone's asking or says, um, I heard somewhere it's not wise to add one's personal home to a living trust. It seems strange that I would not. Does it have something to do with beneficiaries? being held liable while the trust store is still alive? Well, first of all, um, this is one of those situations where, you know, if you heard something somewhere, it's good that you're asking the question whether or not this is true. There's a lot of misinformation that floats around out there about wills and trusts and estate planning. Um, First of all, if you're going to create a living trust, one of the primary reasons should be to put your personal residence into the ownership of that trust so that it does not end up going through the probate process when you die. Um, the, the only potential downside of putting your personal residence um, or any real estate for that matter into a living trust is if that you go if you go to refinance a loan or obtain a loan on that property many commercial lenders will require you to actually take the property out of the ownership of the trust and put the property into your uh, individual ownership or if you're married the ownership of you and your spouse in order to make the loan now this is a practice that's been going on as long as i've been practicing law which will be uh, 40 years in uh, december it's uh, kind of a silly practice in many ways because uh, if you have a living trust typically you have the authority as the creators of the trust and the trustees to actually borrow against real estate in the trust sign the necessary loan documents and bind the trust to repayment of the loan and all the consequences that happen if you don't repay the loan but many lenders don't seem to understand that the trustee of a trust especially when It's actually the uh, owner of the – when the owners of the property uh, are actually the trustees of the trust. They don't seem to understand that you don't really need to take it out of the trust. So that's the only potential downside of putting property into trust ownership is you might have to take it out of the trust ownership to refinance it. And that creates its own set of problems. Uh, That's because a lot of people – Uh, When they do that, they forget to put the property back into the trust ownership after they've done the refinancing. And that ends up with a situation where people pass away and then the family finds out for the first time that the property is not in the trust and they have to do court work, some kind of court action to get the property into the trust. That's where I come in with the service I provide that is statewide, uh, which is filing what's called a... Hegstat petition, if you've been listening for any amount of time, um, I talk about Hegstat petitions fairly frequently because they come up when there's an estate planning mistake of some kind and property is not properly titled into trust ownership or it's removed from trust ownership or it's uh, never put in in the first place. whole bunch of reasons why a Hegstat petition might be necessary. And I do a lot of those. Um, I did uh, uh, three in the last two weeks, and uh, it's a fairly common thing that has to be done in order to clean up a problem like that. Now, here's a question out of Los Angeles, and what it, how it goes is like this: uh, Can the property title stay under deceased parent or grandparents' name if there wasn't a will, as long as the property taxes are paid? <laughs> Grandparents did not leave a will. The title of the house property has never been changed, but the taxes are paid every year. Is it possible to continue this way as long as relatives agree and don't try? Um, I'm not sure. Don't try the obtain owner. What? Okay, I'm not sure what the question's asking. Other than first part is uh, as long as the property taxes are paid. Well, here's the bottom line. Um, This could go on year after year after year as long as the taxes are paid, but at some point, if the family goes to sell the property or borrow against the property, they're going to find that the grandparents are still under the title name. Um, They're still the title owners of the property, and at that point, they're going to have to take some kind of court action to have that dealt with. And here's the kicker. If it turns out that the people doing this are not the direct children of those grandparents, and it sounds like if we're talking grandparents, they're not. They're grandchildren. Then there is a decent chance, uh, especially if there was a child in between uh, that was alive and then died after the grandparents died, there's a decent chance that uh, when all this gets cleaned up in the end, and the property is properly transferred uh, the way it should have been when the grandparents passed away in the first place, they may find that the real property taxes are going to be reassessed as of the date that the last grandparent died, and then the reassessment will go forward increasing 2% a year for however many years it's been, and there will be back taxes owing on the reassessed amount plus the increases over the years because they never told the county that the grandparent died so that the county would have the right to determine whether they could reassess the property taxes and collect more money as you can imagine this is in los angeles by the way so you can imagine if it's been five ten fifteen twenty years since grandma died and the property should have been reassessed 20 years ago. Well, there could be literally tens of thousands of dollars of back taxes, penalties and accrued interest on the unpaid property taxes that should have been paid from from 15 20 years ago. So, I would tell someone like this, you got to you got to look at it very carefully and see uh, you got to clean this up. In other words, if it's been a short time since it happened, don't sit around and wait for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years to try and fix the property, uh, the problem later, because you could very well end up with a huge property tax bill that probably no one in the family has the money to pay, which means it's going to force the sale of the property. So um, that that is. Um, so so that is something really to consider right there. Okay, we're coming up on the second break of the show today. When I come back after the break, I'm going to do a little uh, ABCs of estate planning for the second half of the show. So if you record the shows, that would be the time to start recording. Or, uh, you know, bookmark the, the date today and download the podcast at kdow.biz. It's under Plan Your State Radio, under my name. Uh, Pick the one for today, and the second half of the show will be the ABCs of estate planning. Just a summary to give you an overview. So when I come back after the break, we will uh, cover that. This is Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll talk with you after the break.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Welcome back to the second half of our show today. In this half of the show, I'm going to go over a little primer. Some people would say primer, but I believe it's primer, or the ABCs of estate planning. So let me start first by defining just what is estate planning because there is a little confusion out there there are financial planning firms that indicate that they do estate planning and what they're referring to is planning to build your financial estate and as you kind of you may imagine as an estate planning attorney uh, I do have people now and then they contact me and ask about financial advice or could I be their financial advisor? And I have to explain to them that the estate planning I do is planning for the orderly handling and ultimate distribution of the estate, not helping you uh, figure out how to build the value of your estate. So financial planners and Uh, registered representatives and investment advisory firms, they're all involved in building your estate, hopefully. Um, And they often call themselves estate planning. uh, When really they should be calling themselves, in my opinion, investment planning or financial planning rather than estate planning. Because estate planning really does mean the kind of work that estate planning attorneys do to help people handle their estates. Now what are the things that we are trying to accomplish with estate planning? Probably um, the first thing which would apply to many many people who need to have estate planning done is to provide for incapacity. Here's the here's the situation if you become incapacitated and you're no longer able to handle your finances in any way if you don't have any kind of planning in advance where someone can actually take over and handle things for you without going through the court system for a conservatorship which really want, you want to avoid that whenever possible conservatorship is time consuming it's public and it's expensive. Probably over $12,000 in Santa Clara County for an uncontested conservatorship. To avoid that, uh, so that someone can actually take over and handle your finances for you, that includes receiving monies and rents, paying your bills, and uh, handling your investments for you, all those kinds of things, plus somebody who can make medical and healthcare decisions for you if you're no longer able to communicate with your doctors and your doctors can't communicate with you anymore to uh, to get an informed opinion from you as to what you would want done or not done in reference to your health care. If you don't have legal documents in place that grant authority to people to handle those things for you, you will end up in the court system with the conservatorship. So the first thing we are trying to do is to avoid conservatorship by making sure that we have legal documents in place where you've named people that can actually act on your behalf. The first thing, your financial matters, we have something called a power of attorney or often called a durable power of attorney uh... for financial matters Uh, you can have many different names the state of california has a financial power of attorney that is statutory if you want to use that one that means the legislature has created a power of attorney form that anyone can use if they want to have a power of attorney it is free you can download it from the internet if you just look for California statutory form power of attorney it's very straightforward to fill out read the directions very carefully but it has some deficiencies probably uh, the greatest deficiency is uh, the things that are not in the power of attorney or filling it out incorrectly I saw a power of attorney like this that was that was signed and witnessed, which is one of the ways that it could be activated, but the person did not indicate a single power on the first page that they wanted the authority to cover. They didn't initial any power, and they certainly didn't initial the very last line, which is line N, as in Nancy. And so they had a a duly executed, properly executed statutory form power of attorney that was absolutely useless because it did not actually indicate any powers were being granted clearly an oversight um, but mistakes like that are made anyway you can get the statutory form power of attorney free off the internet follow the instructions fill it out make sure to select the power or powers you want to grant to somebody make sure it's witnessed or notarized following the instructions And you have a power of attorney, so at least someone can handle finances for you if you become incapacitated. That being said, the statutory form power of attorney does not give authority to do a number of things, and maybe one of the big ones is it doesn't give any authority to do long-term care planning. What that means is if you need to go into a nursing home, sometimes there's planning that can be done so that some or maybe even all of the property that you own both real estate and investments doesn't have to be all spent before you can qualify for assistance from the government in the form of Medi-Cal. A properly drafted, custom drafted power of attorney can have all kinds of authority like that uh, written in there and be much more comprehensive than the statutory form. The second issue has to do with your health care. In the absence of having what's called an advanced health care directive, which is both a direction, uh, directive to your doctors about how you want your care to proceed and a health care power of attorney where you name someone who can speak on your behalf called your health care agent. This is if you are now incapacitated uh, and the doctors are not listening to you anymore because they realize you cannot communicate with them. They cannot communicate with you. The Advanced Healthcare Directive is a critical document, maybe one of the most important documents you could ever prepare and sign and have available because it would give authority for your medical care and treatment up to and including, if you desired, the ability to tell the doctors and the and the hospital to take you off of life support and permit you to die. In the absence of having an advanced healthcare directive, uh, doctors will sometimes defer to a spouse, sometimes defer to uh, the children of the person, but if there's no written authority, they're doing that, and it's risky for doctors to do that, because if they take an action based on, say, what one child tells them to do and the other children don't agree with that, the doctor might get sued for exceeding the authority um, that the doctor has. Uh, because if no one's in charge, technically, legally, you have to go to court to get a conservatorship so a conservator is put in charge of the person that's incapacitated including making those medical decisions. In fact, there are uh, people who end up in intensive care units in hospitals who don't have anybody available to um, speak for them, and maybe the hospital cannot do anything for them at all. Uh, all they can do is maintain them being alive, but they can't make them better, and they're going to die without being in the ICU. Well, hospitals sometimes have to go to court to get permission to take someone off of life support so they can be permitted to die. Now, if you have an advanced health care directive that gets someone, gives someone the authority to do that, you don't need to uh, go to court to get permission for them to sign the necessary papers to allow you to die. But in my experience, um, that, that is something that hospitals have to do if they have no one that has authority or if they haven't been given the authority to do that in the Advanced healthcare Directive, which is something you can do if it's well-drafted. Um, if it's well-drafted and it actually um, gives them instructions or directions when they can actually take you off of life support if there's no one there who can actually sign the paperwork for you. And then a third related document is called the HIPAA Authorization HIPAA is a federal medical privacy law. We also have a California version. Um, and basically, this is the list of who the people are that, that the medical people can share medical information with about you. In the absence of having this authorization, legally they can't share any information with anybody except for the healthcare agent in an advanced health care directive. So... Those are the three documents right there that uh, people can use without having a trust in order to avoid conservatorship while they're alive. In this last segment of the show today, I'm going to cover how we avoid the probate process after you've died. So when we come back after the break, uh, I'm going to talk about living trusts and uh, what we do with living trusts. And so when we come back after the break, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And we'll finish out the show with a little discussion of living trust.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Hi, welcome back to the final segment of our show today where I discuss living trusts and how we use them to avoid the probate process. Now, it's a fact that here uh, in California and pretty much everywhere in the country, if you die and you have property in your name when you die, that's in your actual name, or payable to your estate when you die, such as a life insurance policy where the beneficiary you named died before you, and now there's no beneficiary named, you're likely to end up in the probate court and having to go through the probate process. Now, in many states, the probate process is not involved and is short. There are some states where you can be done in a month uh, here in California, that is not the case at all, and especially now in this time period, with uh, in this time period of COVID and the pandemic, the court systems have taken a financial hit, with their budgets being cut, and uh, and so everything is moving more slowly in the probate courts than it did before. Uh, that even includes in well counties like Santa Clara and San Mateo both of which I practice in, where many of the regular court processes have been slowed down tremendously because of staffing cuts throughout the court system, but especially in the probate departments. So what is probate? Probate is the court-supervised administration and distribution of the estate of someone who has died without making provision to have their estate distributed Outside of probate, things that can be distributed outside of probate include assets that have a designated beneficiary, which could be a bank account, brokerage account, life insurance, an IRA or 401k, an annuity, things like that, and uh, and also um, anything that is owned by a living trust. Now most things that we own are probably better served by being in a living trust. So what is a living trust? Well, it consists of three pieces. We sometimes call it the revocable living trust. Revocable means you can change your mind. So once you write up the trust, if a year later you decide you want to change the distribution or change who's going to handle things after you're gone or whatever you want to change, it's revocable so you can change your mind as long as you are still mentally competent to do so. It's a living trust. Living means it's set up while you are alive as opposed to a trust that is created after you have died. A trust created after you've died is generally called a testamentary trust, kind of like last will and testament. And then trust is property held by one person for the benefit of another person. When you set up a living trust, what you're doing is you're actually holding the property in trust for your own benefit, which means you are the creator of the trust, sometimes called the trustor, the settlor, the grantor, the trust maker. All of those terms pretty much mean the same thing. And you create the trust and then you transfer ownership of most of your property, not all of it, to the ownership of you as the trustee of the trust. The trustee is kind of like the chief executive officer of a corporation. That's the person who's in charge of the trust. That's the trustee. And you, you in fact, are then also the beneficiary of the trust, meaning that the assets are there to be used to take care of you. And that's the purpose, is to take care of you. Uh, You and your spouse, perhaps you and your spouse, and your children, perhaps even grandchildren or even an elderly parent or two. It depends on how the trust is drawn up. And the idea is this, that when you pass away, the probate law looks at what is owned in your individual name or payable to you, and it doesn't look at things that you own as the trustee of a trust. So while you're alive, you actually own all that property. You can do whatever you want with it. It's a revocable living trust. That means you can change it. The IRS doesn't even care that you have a trust like that. You use your regular tax returns that you filed before. You use your social security number. But the key is the moment you die, for purposes of going to probate, you don't own that property at all. And because of that, The administration of the trust estate can happen much more quickly than probate. It can be done privately without publishing a list of all of your assets and your creditors with the court filing it. That's what probate does. You have to file all that information. And uh, if it's a fairly straightforward administration, you may actually be able, or your successor trustee may be able to actually wind up your affairs and distribute everything in a matter of weeks or a few months rather than many many months or even a year or more, which can what be what happens in the probate process. I'm a big advocate of avoiding probate in the probate courts whenever possible. And when, what you can do with an estate plan, the living trust, financial power of attorney to cover any assets that are not owned by the trust, an advanced health care directive, and then some other documents that work together in the estate plan you can avoid probate at death, conservatorship while you're alive, and have an orderly transition for your estate. So that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I should be back next Friday. If not, you'll hear a pre-recorded show. Kind of depends from week to week what I'm doing. So until then, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Talk with you later.
0: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.